This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. What's the best thing about Boston? The diversity. Yeah. Their education. Yeah. Yes, education. I guess the city too. Yeah. 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 Food's not a bad answer. Uh, <laughs> Nothing else? Education. Education. I feel like we got mad Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Every quarter. Is that really the best thing? Previously in Greater Boston. Nicole, it was great running into you. Um, I'm curious if you actually know the person who asked me to look for this stupid ball in the first place. Gemma Linzer Coolidge. Dear Mr. Ms. Publisher, I am greatly honored that you have seen fit to elevate my status to that of managing editor over all Third Sight publications. I've been watching you. Don't I know you from somewhere? The news, maybe? Redline. Arlington. Cambridge. Jamaica Plain. Rubio. Hanson. Wellesley. Lowell. Redline. Worcester. Uh, I'm from Somerville. Peabody. Tuxbury. Roslindale. Andover. Framingham. This is. Lowell. This is. Revere. Methuen. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, episode 14, The Watcher over Third Sight. The most unpleasant aspect of being summoned is that it is always unexpected. It is an unanticipated whim that must be indulged. When a crystal ball selects your name from a stack of names, you are called, even if you have other places to be, even if you have other plans. The first time I was summoned was on Tuesday, September 17th at 4.37 p.m. My first summoning was unintentional. Ms. Lindsay Coolidge had no idea what she was doing when she summoned me. She had no idea the events she was setting in motion. She wanted to be released from obligation, so she handed that obligation over to Chance. And Chance chose me. My permission was not asked. My calendar was not consulted. I was summoned, and I came because I could not do otherwise. But that was okay. There was value in it an opportunity to help my friend. I took that opportunity. Dear Leon, of late I have lost all sense of professional satisfaction. After a man I once counted as a friend received a promotion, with my help, he quickly transformed into a tyrant and a bully. I have even found myself nostalgic for the antisocial party pooper who once ran my office. I used to believe in the sacred, inviolate bond of office kinship, but now I have all but given up on finding any companions in this place. How can I go on working alongside people who I cannot love? Sincerely, Woeful in Watertown. Oh, hey. Are you all right? Y you sound weird. 
Yeah, I'm down in the tunnels. I'm taking a foot tour through some of these old maintenance passages. Oh, man, that sounds... Creepy as hell? Yeah. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. And did you know there are settlements down here? I came down looking for clues to get Gemma's ball, but I'm getting some fantastic photographs. People have started building lean-tos, mushroom gardens. There's even some sort of flea market that they're starting to develop. That sounds amazing. Uh, I should do a story on that. ma'am. Do do you have a moment? Uh, Hang on a sec, Michael. What do you want? I'd I'd very much like to tell you about the Bible. What? No, I, I thanks. I'm I'm familiar with it. Um, you can go now. But 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 are, aren't you concerned for the state of your soul? I'm concerned for the state of a lot of things. My love life, arts education in America, the future of Redline. But my soul, the state of my soul is all peaches and creams. Thank you very much. Uh, should I let you go? Uh, no, no, no. Please, sorry. This place is just full of weirdos. Even the Jesus muggers have started working rubes down here. Um, uh, I just probably shouldn't have come down here on my own. It's good to have you on the line, though, in case things get weird. Could, could you just keep talking while I skulk around? Um, just talk to me. What, what are you working on? Oh, uh, today is advice column day. Yikes. That sounds hard. It kind of isn't, actually. Most of the time, it's the easiest part of my job. It's funny. I've always been on the other side of the advice giving. Leon would tell me what I needed to do, and I'd feel stupid for not figuring it out myself. But... Now I've got these people writing into me with these questions. And nine times out of ten, the answer is so easy, I'm sure they already know it. They just need to hear someone else say it. Like this one letter I got. Dear Leon. Leon. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I changed the name of the column. It used to be Dear Persephone, but uh, that name didn't feel right for me. Dear Leon. I've recently completed construction of a fully functional orrery, accurate to the second in its tracking of the celestial bodies. It's a machine of exquisite beauty, and I thought for sure that having such a tool at my disposal would benefit my personal relationships. But my wife is irate, because my monstrous contraption, as she calls it, occupies the entirety of our combined living room dining room. Have I made a mistake? Sincerely, Tinker in Taunton. That's it? That's the problem? I know, right? But just because the answer is easy doesn't mean that it's easy. Like, how I know I needed to stay sober. But acting on that knowledge, well... It's good that I've got my numbers. I've got our little search for Gemma's ball. I've got all the third sight squeezy stress balls. Really? Oh, yeah. Those are super helpful. They're part of my daily self-preservation now. On a bad day, I can reduce one of those balls to a crumbling mess by lunchtime. I'm glad you've got them. Yeah. The problem I'm having right now is, well, Tyrell here at the office keeps writing in. And I, I don't know if I should approach him directly or treat him like any other letter writer. If he thinks he's writing anonymously, he may not want personal help. But the guy's miserable. I have to do something. It's decent of you to want to. Oh, I, I, I guess. So, um, what did you tell the other guy? Which guy? That guy with the big, um, thing in his house. Oh, the Tinker and Taunton. Dear Tinker, to be sure, 
To be sure, the construction of one's own personal large-scale orrery is an impressive accomplishment. It is a tool of particular dignity, precise in its measurements and representations. However, it is also very large. If the tool you use to plan for the future encroach upon your ability to enact those plans, then your tools have failed you. Fortunately, there is a simple solution. On Chandler Street, in your hometown, is Compass Self Storage, where you can rent a 10 by 10 storage unit for $137 per month. Move your orrery to that location, and you'll be able to consult it at your convenience without monopolizing your apartment. <laughs> well, that's, that's sensible, I guess. I mean, as much as building a thing like that can be sensible in the first place. Well, yeah, I don't know. I've made worse decisions. I feel a little hypocritical giving advice on housing, considering... Why? You haven't seen my place, have you? I'm down at Porter Square in Red Line, one of the residential suspension structures. It's kind of like a series of hammock nets suspended over the outbound platform, with like these canvas walls to divide you from your neighbors. People have been calling it the, um, uh, Ewok Village. The whole place sways every time a train goes by. It's cheap, but it's kind of stressful. Like, I can hear the woman above me brush her teeth. Stressful. Have you ever really listened to someone brushing their teeth? Ugh. Not to mention the silhouettes on the wall every time the couple next door are fooling around. That sounds... Well, it's hard to even picture, actually. I need to get down there with my camera. You should! I'll give you a tour. Hey, where are you now? Still in the tunnel. This settlement keeps going. It's a lot farther than I realized. I, I think some of it might predate the referendum. Because it looks like there's been a homeless camp down here for years. There's like these little houses built from discarded aluminum siding. They're all wired together and lighting is plugged in into this makeshift electrical work. And they've spliced these hanging outlets into the grid. There's this amazing communal kitchen. Oh, wow. I guess they've got neighbors now. Yeah, and that's going to be a problem. I mean, I know for a fact this section of the tunnel was already zoned for commercial construction. I think it's going to be a dunks. You mean a dunkies? No, dunks. Like Dunkin' Donuts. Right. Donkeys. Oh, whatever. Uh, point is, a bunch of people are going to get pushed out of these makeshift homes to make room for the millionth branch of Boston's Worst Coffee. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, I don't think these people even realize. <sighs> you still there? Uh, yeah. Just didn't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, got another letter? One more. This one's... Uh... Dear Leon, last February, on the advice of my doctor, I got a routine flu shot. Nine weeks later, I was hospitalized with alcohol poisoning after a weekend of partying. Do you think my illness may have been caused by the vaccine? Sincerely, Vax Victim in San Bernardino. Oh. Yeah. So, what do you do with one like that? I stay late. I stay at work until I've got an answer. The answer I think Leon would give. And I wreck another squeezy stress ball. What's the worst or weirdest thing you've ever seen your boss do? I don't know, it was pick a scab. I hate those. And he made it bleed, and I just kind of looked at him like, yeah, you're unprofessional. Um, probably complain about things falling on the floor because the floor isn't freshly painted, but it's a shop. Things are going to be on the floor regardless. Um, after Thanksgiving, we came back, and he said um, something that happened at the table, like a joke that one of his relatives said. And I was just there like, 
was I was I supposed to laugh too or like I don't know I don't know what should I laugh and then after I was like oh I get the joke and then everyone just looked at me and I was like okay but it was something about the turkey like they said it like a turkey joke he got mad and tried to kick a panel off of one of our buses like flipped out Next thing I know, I hear him yelling at his wife upstairs. I worked in a restaurant in Boston, um, not too far from here, and we had a patio outside, and it was on a busy street, and it was just some homeless guy was hanging around out there. I mean, it's the city. It's no big deal. And this manager was a nutcase, and he went in the kitchen and got a butcher knife and was walking through the restaurant with it down at his side like he was hiding it and going out. I don't know. The homeless man was gone by the time he went out there, and I don't think he would have done anything anyway, but it was pretty darn weird. I had a boss who was supposed to stay in frequent contact with work, you know, not constant, but, you know, check your email every couple hours, etc. But he didn't like the idea that his phone had a GPS on it and it would track him. And he had several acres of land, so when he got home, he'd put it in his mailbox. So every day, he'd tell us that we should put our cell phones in our mailbox so they can't see where we go on our property. I guess the worst thing I've seen one of my boss do was trying to tell people that they're replaceable easily replaceable when I worked in the cafeteria at Boston College. He, I don't know, I guess he just thought that kids would take him too lightly because the majority of the people were African-American and Hispanic that were signing up for that job. So I guess he wanted to try to establish some dominance. Life at Third Sight Media hadn't significantly improved for Tyrell Fredericks. Extinction Event was a tyrannical boss. A petty, bullying, drunk on mid-managerial power, tyrannical boss. And Tyrell had earned himself the desultory honor of being number one flunky. Which meant his role as head of human resources now included running gopher throughout the office. Hey, Tyrell. Uh, what's up? Extinction Event wants a meeting in the big conference room. He sent me around to tell everyone. Why doesn't he just use the intercom? Sorry. No, no, it, it, it's fine. I, I'm on my way. I, I need to swing past the supply closet for a new stress ball anyway. You, uh, you go through those. Yeah, they really help with my, uh, well, you know, my, uh, problem. Oh, maybe you should take a couple while you're there, before the meeting. Tyrell was mortified to realize that he actually missed Gemma. Why had he resented her so much? Because she didn't like parties? So what? She hadn't even really stopped him from having them. She'd explicitly told Michael to reject Tyrell's offer. But when Tyrell had put the requisition in front of her, added it to the company calendar, she'd just signed right off on it. She just didn't want to be invited. She wanted to be left alone. Hi, Allison. What? Meeting in the conference room. Ugh. But Tyrell couldn't allow Gemma her solitude, couldn't abide her lack of enthusiasm for the Margaritathon, couldn't abide her refusal to be his friend. So he'd gotten her fired. Who really pooped that party? It was entirely his own fault. A misery of his own creation. He could see that now. How petty he'd been. How unethical. How wrong. 
This was his punishment. He deserved this. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Roger. Hi, Tyrell. We're having a meeting in the big conference room. Of course we are. And now he was less liked than ever. But not even for the right reasons. If people hated him because of what he'd done to Gemma, that would only be right and fair. But nobody knew about that. Hey, Wanda. Hi, Jonas. Hi, Tina. Hi, Anna-Marie. Yeah, hi, Tyrell. Does uh, Paletti want something? We're having a... Oh, hi, Abdulaziz. I didn't see you back there. Oh, and Tom. Hi, Tom. Yes, hi, Tyrell. I'm sorry to interrupt your lunch, but there's a meeting in the big conference room. God, these goddamn meetings. A waste of my life. I brought donuts. He'd come to terms with it, kind of. Made his peace with it. Mostly. He'd been given a sign, a clear omen of hope. But what hope had it signified? He couldn't tell. He'd never had the gift of divination, never fully understood the powers so grandiosely on display all around him. He chided himself for his envy, but persisted in his envying. How could he not? What person could ever be satisfied to be the least special person in their own world. Where is everyone? We're coming! Everyone's coming! So now here he was, running all around the office, prying basic tolerance from them with confectionery bribes and obsequious politeness. He couldn't allow it to go on. He had to send a message of his own. Oh, there you all are. I was starting to wonder. Please find your seats. Oh, Tyrell, you brought donuts. I assume you got some vegan ones in there? Yes! Very good. It's for Jonas. What? Jonas is vegan, so I brought him a vegan donut. Aw, uh, thanks, Tyrell. Just the one, though. Maybe we could each have half. No, it's for Jonas. One vegan donut for Jonas, and one for Wanda. Wanda's vegan? No, but she's allergic to eggs, so I got her a vegan donut, too. Well, that's very thoughtful, Tyrell. Thank you. But none for me. They ran out? Of vegan donuts? Yes. Tyrell, is that true? Did they really run out of vegan donuts at the donut shop? They had a lot of vegans today? Extra vegans? I can tell you're lying to me, Tyrell. Shame on you. Now please sit down. Okay. Tyrell... You're not really taking a donut, are you? Do you think you deserve a donut? But I bought them. Did you buy donuts for everyone? Or did you deliberately leave some people out? Just one person. Okay, fine. Thank you. Now, before we begin, I want to say that I'm very proud of the work all of you have done over the past few months. Gemma's abrupt departure and my promotion came as an unexpected, if not unwelcome, surprise. But you've all done an admirable job of responding to the new hierarchy and philosophy. We still don't know why she was fired. Because she's a horrible person. Now, I would especially like to commend our most junior member, Michael Tate. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, thank you. Michael, when you first came to Third Sight one year ago, I couldn't even imagine how anyone could be as thoroughly ignorant of the metaphysical structures of the world as you were. Oh, uh... Uh, you were so obviously, utterly unqualified for the job that I could only imagine Gemma must have picked your name at random out of a hat. 
but despite all that, you have obviously taken your work here at Third Sight very seriously. You've studied, you've read, you've practiced. Yes, yes, I have. You've learned so much about how the world really works. Well, sure, I guess. When I first became managing editor, I expected I'd be firing you at the end of the probationary period. But I'm glad to say that, as of today, I think that's far less likely to happen. Less? Far less. And so the publisher has asked me to present you with a gift in honor of your growth here at Third Sight. And there it is. You can just reach that out from the tube. It's, uh, it's a bottle of bourbon. Well, I hope you like bourbon then. I, I, I don't drink. Oh, are you Mormon? That's a really random assumption. I'll take it. Actually, Tyrell, why don't you take it? Me? I think Leon would want me to give it to you. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Well, anyway, now that the frivolous portion of the meeting is over, I have two major announcements. The first is about cutbacks. I'm sure you all know that the publishing industry has been facing diminished profits, diminished readership, diminished retail outlets for print material. Third Sight has weathered these challenges better than most. But thorough numerological analysis has revealed that we will face an income crisis in the following year. And yes, before you ask, we have properly corroborated this prediction with both tarot reading and temporal spirit communion. We are not at the point of layoffs, and hopefully we can avoid that entirely. But other costs will be trimmed. First off, there will be no more tokens of appreciation. That bottle of bourbon is the end of it, so make it last. Really? We will be reevaluating a number of our general supplies. We are eliminating rabbit's feet entirely, thank goodness. That's been long overdue for so many reasons. And we're adopting a more affordable health insurance plan. Tyrell, I think there are some changes to the covered services under the new plan that you need to address. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. So, the new plan will no longer cover psychiatric services or preventative care. Also, we've lost coverage for alternative medicines, birth control, and personal <sighs> lock totems. <sighs> so, in general, um, really? be more careful out there, I guess? Oh, come on. What are we supposed to do without lock totems? I'm sorry. You'll just have to buy your own. Are you kidding me? Oh, and we've dropped the vision and dental plans. What? <sighs> right. So, everyone, just be sure to practice good eye and teeth maintenance. Fucking serious. Finally... The biggest cutback we've had to make is our monthly squeezy stress ball allotment. Ah. I know that many of us are reliant on the provided squeezy stress balls to help us cope with the daily frustrations of ordinary life. But our squeezy stress ball expenditure has tripled over the last four months. It's completely out of control. I'm afraid we've decided to take a firm hand. We're cutting squeezy stress balls from our budget entirely. Uh, What? Tyrell will be carefully rationing the remaining stock. But once that supply has been exhausted... It will not be replaced. This job just keeps getting worse and worse. I can't believe this crap. I'm sorry. You're going to have to bring your own, just like you will already bring your own lunches and bathroom tissue. Oh, man. Now, let's move on to cheerier announcements. The time has come round again. Something I'm sure you've all been looking forward to. The name Extinction Event has served me very well these past few months. But my personal spirit guide, Mary Wallstonecraft, has informed me that I am to remain in flux, and the time for my next transformation is upon me. 
But Ms. Wallstonecraft has challenged me to set an even greater example to the world, an example of democratic personhood. She has instructed me to open the process of selecting my new name to all of you. I've mounted a suggestion box on the wall outside my office. You can slip your name suggestions in there. As many as you like. No need to limit yourself to just one. I'm very excited about this. And taking your ideas and considering how each one speaks to my sense of myself and my role in the world, I trust the result will be profound. The second time I was summoned was on Friday, October 4th at 12.17 p.m. Mr. Paletti knew exactly what he was doing. His was an act of pure braggadocio. He had no need of my help, save to impress and ingratiate, but I was summoned, and I could not decline. But there was Nika, so desperately alone, so desperately in need, and that other man, Tyrell, so hopeless. I could see the course of events about to play out, their next moves, and the moves after that, Nika's descent into the subway, Tyrell's descent from the bridge, two stories on their way to bad ends. I saw an opportunity to intervene, to help. Mr. Paletti suggested the means, psychography, spirit writing. And there you were, Oliver, up here in your strange little apartment above the offices, watching everyone, writing your note to Paletti, informing him of his failure and his dismissal. He doesn't even know how I saved his job, how I guided your hand along another course, a course that set Nika and Tyrell on a collision that should have saved them both. And now, here we are, Oliver, both of us with so much to say to each other, I can hear you, Oliver. I'm right here beside you. I can hear you. In his mind's eye, Oliver West saw himself as the overseer of a vast publishing empire. An industrial tycoon with a web of influence spanning the entire globe. He saw his magazines reaching into homes and offices in every city of every country on every continent. In his mind's eye, he saw himself with the power to sway public opinion far enough to move elections, topple regimes. And finally put an end to turtleneck sweaters. Just wipe them out of existence completely. Really, it's long past due. But in his actual eyes... But in my actual eyes... In my actual eyes... I see myself on the top floor of a small building. I see my company publishing a dozen modestly successful magazines. I see the most popular of those magazines selling almost enough copies to rival Cat Fancy. God damn Cat Fancy. In my actual eyes, I see my wife going around in a sweater with a collar so high and folded over on itself so many times that her head looks like a maraschino cherry peeking out from a pile of whipped cream on an ice cream sundae. 
In my actual eyes, I see things how they actually are. You see things only how you see them. Same as anyone. I am in a particular position vis-a-vis the ghost haunting my office because I know that you are here. I know that you can hear me even if I can't hear you. Ah, that'll be my lunch. A tuna salad sandwich with extra celery. The lunch of a powerful man. An influential man. Delivered by a pneumatic tube. A sophisticated delivery technology that extended Oliver's personal reach into the office below and to many secret locations throughout the city. Part of my complex network of influence, you see. When Gemma Linzer Coolidge first brought Michael in for that farce of a job interview, Oliver saw the opportunity Michael presented immediately. Hardly. You're perceptive, but not actually prescient, despite the image you like to project. He knew how she'd come upon Michael, of course. I keep a close eye on all of my employees, through means I won't bother to detail for you. I don't think you'd be interested. Fair enough. She tossed her crystal ball onto her desk. It landed on the name of a man, and she called that man... Leon Stamatis. Me. And yes, I did say crystal ball. That woman, she thought it was just glass. She never once considered the possibility that we'd given her the real thing. I've rarely been so glad to be rid of an employee as I am to be rid of Gemma. I found her deeply emotionally draining. Some people are just like that. Some people are very much like that. Now, Michael. Michael is something else entirely. So malleable, that one. But you know better than anyone how easily shaped he is. You cured the man of alcoholism, for heaven's sake. I didn't cure him. I just believed in him. You just stepped in and told him to stop. And he did. Do you know how absurd that is? How implausible? To strip a man of his addiction by pure force of will? It's as though he were just waiting for someone to tell him what to do. For you to tell him what to do. That's who he is. He proves it every day. Here, let's listen in on him for a moment, shall we? I believe he's working on his advice column. Your advice column. Dear Dear Vax Victim, victim, It is perfectly normal to grasp for seemingly irrational explanations explanations to confusing events, such as the case with many of the illnesses falsely attributed to vaccination. I am certain that your alcohol poisoning was not caused by your flu shot, but rather by your consumption of alcohol. I have seen a number of portents indicating this truth. The spirits indicate that you should seek out an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in your area. Do you see? Do you hear yourself in his voice? He's still in your thrall. And that's why he's useful. Because you are bound to him, and he is bound to us. Contractually. The old ten-year posthumous employment clause. You agreed to it, and so did he. And now, here we are. Working together. You must wonder how it is that I know you're here. It goes back to that first day when you interfered with my decision to fire 
extinction event, Paletti. I only meant to reschedule that event, not cancel it entirely. And using my own pneumatic tubes, you cheeky scamp. The presence of a spirit was obvious. The real question was, to whom was it anchored? Naturally, I assumed it was Nika. That's why I sought her out at Wonderland, riding the Whirladon. A quaint little coaster. I really enjoy roller coasters, you know. I enjoy the perfect control they represent. Perfect structure, perfect timing, perfect reliability. All within the illusion of chaos. The illusion of surprise. They are wonders of efficient engineering, truly. But I was wrong about your sister. It was an understandable mistake, I'm sure you'll agree. But I figured it out. I got there. It was simply a matter of observing my employees, as I always do. It was hardly a leap to realize Michael must have help. Continuing, constant help. You. And I am the greatest threat to his present well-being. So you must be watching me as closely as I'm watching him. And here you are. That's a note from my son, Ada. He and my wife live at an off-site location, you see. Ah, he wants to know if I can make Orange Box mac and cheese tonight. The Orange Box is Ada's favorite. It has become a Thursday night ritual. Oliver and Ada and Ada's favorite mac and cheese. Now, Mr. Stomatis, we need to wrap this up so that I may go see my son. It's time I made my requirements clear. What I expect of you as an employee of Third Sight. You will be my spy. Your first assignment will bring you back to Wonderland. A woman there interests me. She lives in the San Francisco Urban Conflagration Recreation Experience. Go learn what you can about her. Your second responsibility is one that you've been doing already. I want you to continue feeding information to Michael. Guide his divinations, just as you did when he predicted the passage of the referendum. No one had seen that coming, save Michael. No other paper or magazine in the city or the world had predicted the referendum's success. That single prediction became the best thing that had happened to Third Sight Media in years. So, keep him on point, Mr. Stomatis. Particularly with regard to further developments in Redline. Make us the authority. Make us essential. Do that... And Michael will have a long and gainful employment here at Third Sight, collecting his own salary as well as yours. Fail. Well, as I said earlier, your friend is an easy man to mold, Mr. Stomatis. He is an easy man to break. I need your agreement. Some sign of your cooperation. Perhaps a bit of useful information, if you have any to spare at the moment. Unless you'd rather see your dear friend back out on the street. Feel free to use the tubes. Ah, there we go. I must confess, I admire your penmanship. But 
Let's see what you have to say. Ada's favorite is the blue box, but he knows you don't like it, so he chooses the orange to avoid disappointing you. <laughs> oh, you are a cheeky ghost, aren't you? But no matter, the deal is sealed. We have reached our agreement. Dear Woeful, By now you will have received a gift from someone at your office who thinks kindly of you. He does not love you any more than you love him. But you have his respect. Respect should be the most you ask of workplace relations. Look elsewhere for love. But insist upon respect. You deserve it. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. You can follow Greater Boston on Twitter at InGreaterBoston, and you can help keep the show running by supporting our Patreon campaign or by sharing the show with your friends. This episode featured Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis, Julia Propp as Luisa Alvarez, James Oliva as Michael Tate, Richard Penner as Tinker in Taunton. Erie Alexander as Vax Victim in San Bernardino, Alexander Danner as the narrator, Arun Sanuti as Tyrell Fredericks, James Capobianco as Extinction Event Paletti, and Mike Linden as Oliver West and the Street Proselytizer. Also featuring Tanya Miloyevich, Jim Johansson, Ben Flaumenhaft, and Rick Coast as Third Side employees. Interviews conducted with real Greater Boston residents. Trial in the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Tidi, Mechanical by Dave Fernandez, Life List by Dave Lewis, and drums by Jim Johansson. Be sure to check out the shows produced by our special guests this episode, including Jim Robbie and the Wanderers, The Infinite Now, and Rick Coast Productions. I've got all the third sight squeezy trust. I've got all the third. I got all the third sight squeezy trust. <laughs> I've got all the third sight squeezy trust. Why did you put squeezy and stress next to each other? Why? Dun da da dun, squeezy stress ball obliterated. Okay. Good night. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Are you there? I think I'm getting something. Why are you recording? For science. Did you hear that? We're a little off schedule. Maybe it's the aliens. I'm studying electromagnetic phenomena and anomalies. I don't think losing people is scary. I just don't want to do it anymore. Just together we Radio check, who's this? I didn't do it. You never do anything. We should still be secure. Are you safe? The walkies again. Who are you? Comfort. I am not doing it on purpose. You can't bullshit. I am not doing it on purpose. Stop. Stop. Oh, God. I don't like this. I don't like this. What the hell was that? I'm not supposed to know that. We're supposed to be innocent. I feel an ending coming. Oracle, a sci-fi anthology podcast set in the not-so-distant future. Season 2, Transmission, available in bi-monthly episode releases starting July 1st, 2023. 
or listen now to season one, Iris, wherever you get your podcasts.